over the last few weeks, and it will continue on through this fall, in a sense we have been exchanging our shoes for the sandals of, of those who, a million people who walked out of Egypt and followed God. And that's what you're seeing in front of you, a people who are moving. In fact, it says in Exodus 17, verse 1, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. Have you thought much about that? What would it be like to live your life moving from day to day, place to place, as the Lord commands? Occasionally, early in the morning here, right on the big green space next to our parking lot, there's something quite amazing that happens. I happened to see a bit of it when I was here a couple of weeks ago early, and I grabbed my cell phone, and I snapped a little video. Watch this. why would I show you that on a Sunday morning in worship? Because it reminds me of what your life and mine should be like. Traveling, swept along by God himself. Untethered. That's what it says there in that first verse of chapter 17. The whole Israelite community traveled from place to place as the Lord commanded. You see, a little bit before that took place, I've watched it happen before. A truck arrives early in the morning, it's still dark, and they lay out that big balloon on the ground and they position the basket and they get the blower just right. Then they stretch out from the basket long ropes. And when it's just right, they fire up that blower and it blows hot air into the balloon and the balloon starts to inflate. And as the balloon inflates on the ground, pretty soon it starts to pull the basket. And the men hold on to those long ropes to hold the basket in place. Then the balloon stands up above the basket, and now they pull down to hold the basket so the people can get in the basket. How many of you have ever ridden in a hot air balloon basket? It must be an amazing experience. I never have. Someday I'd like to. And then at just the right moment, when the people are in the basket, Evidently, the captain says, okay, release, and they let go of the tether lines that hold it. As I pondered that, and then I pondered this verse, I thought about you and me. Do we live our lives held back, tethered down from all that God would like to do if we would release, if we would untether ourselves from the things that hold us back and move with God? So I wrote in your notes right there, missional living is following Jesus untethered by anything. It's this, my dear friends, it's, it's releasing the grip that you and I have on anything, any place, and opening our hands completely wide and saying, God, I trust you fully and completely. I'll follow you anywhere. I'll, 
I invite you to lead my life every single step, just like these people did. What would that take for you? And what might God do if you gave him full liberty every single day? They camped, it says, at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Now that doesn't seem right, does it? It would seem that as people say, God, I trust you fully and completely. I'm refusing to tether myself to anything. Lead me wherever you want to lead me. And God leads you to a place where there's nothing but desert, no water to drink, and your children are are crying out. It would be logical, wouldn't it, for you to say, I I must have lost my way. Or, or, Or God must have abandoned me and must be leading somebody else. Have you ever found yourself in that place? And so they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Of course they did. They were thirsty. And Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water, and they grumbled against Moses. And they said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and even our livestock die of thirst in this desert place? Ever been there, my friends? We're all around you. It it seemed as though I'm at a dead-end place. And I don't sense that God is here at all. I must have lost my way along the way. Or or God has left me behind. Or God is punishing me, I sometimes hear. What do you do when you find yourself in that place? May I suggest you do exactly what Moses did in verse 4. So Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. If you're in any kind of a leadership position in this group here this morning, in your own home, in your business, in your social group, this is particularly important. If you find yourself being maligned by those around you who are expecting you to lead, first step, you turn to God and you say, God, I'm following you as I try to lead these people, so please keep leading clearly. And then you admit, I'm at a lost place, God. I need you to lead clearly. And the Lord answered Moses, and you can expect that. Go on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. And I'll stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. I find four things there. I put them in your notes for you that that are really instructional. If you're in one of those situations where you're expecting to lead because there are people depending upon you, but you find yourself in this kind of a tough place. First, distance yourself from the noise, the clamor of the crowd. Do you agree with that? It's pretty hard to hear God in all the noise, especially when the noise is complaining and grumbling. Secondly, don't go alone. Take with you some people who know God at least as well as you do, if not better, to help you hear God. Thirdly, take something with you that reminds you of great things that God has done in your life journey. In this particular case, he said to Moses, take the staff with you, Moses, because it's just not a walking stick. It'll remind you of all the miraculous things that I have done in the journey. And then do you see what it says there? And I will meet you. Be ready to listen to what God tells you about how he would like to meet you in that desert place and lead you forward. You think you can do those four things? You see, God invites us when you find yourself in those desperate places. God would like to teach you 
how to hear his voice and how to follow him out of those desperate places. So it says there, strike the rock, God said to him, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massah in Meribah because the Israelites quarreled, because they tested the Lord, asking, Is the Lord among us or not? That's a question we sometimes ask, isn't it? When we find ourselves in those kind of desperate places, is God really here in my painful situation? Can you think of some places in God's Word where God promises, I will always be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Remember, Jesus himself said to to his friends in, in Matthew 28, and I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Powerful lessons, my dear friends, because those dry, desert, discouraging places will come to all of us. Do you agree with that? And very likely, when you find yourself there, there are others, your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your co-workers, who are depending upon you to help lead them out of that painful place. Here's how. And then I see something amazing happened. Verse 8, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites there at Rephidim. Why? Well, a water-spewing rock would be pretty valuable in the middle of the desert. Would you agree? Especially a rock that was gushing out so much water, a million people and all of their animals could satisfy their thirst. Also, a people who are receiving a daily bread delivery falling from heaven, that would be pretty miraculous and be great to be a part of that in the middle of the desert. But you remember, they also had all of Egypt's bounty with them. That's why. So what did God do? What did Moses do? What do you do when not only is it a painful place, but now you're under attack? Look, Moses said to Joshua, Choose some men. Go out and fight the Amalekites, and tomorrow I'll go up and stand on the hillside with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua fought the Amalekites, as Moses ordered. You remember the story? And Moses climbed up the hillside with the staff, that reminder of the great things that God had done in his life in the past. And on the hillside, he held up the staff and he prayed. He interceded. In the valley, Joshua fought. As long as Moses' arms were up, what was happening? Joshua was winning the battle, right? And when his arms grew tired and he dropped down, Joshua grew discouraged because as he looked up on the hillside, his mentor, his leader, was running out of energy. So Aaron and Hur stood on either side of them and sat Moses down and held him up. Now I'd like you to step into the story with me. If you're a grandparent or a great-grandparent in this room, would you please stand for just a moment right where you are? A grandparent or a great-grandparent? Now let me ask you, is there anything more valuable that you and I, because I'm a granddaddy too, can do than this? Than to stand and pray for our children and our grandchildren as they're fighting the battle and to encourage them frequently that you're praying for them, you're standing with them, you're encouraging them, and to tell them the stories of how God has responded to your prayers in the past. Do you agree with that? You may be seated. Now, if you're in this room and you're a parent, you're not yet a grandparent, you're a parent, would you please stand? There's a few of you in here. Thank you. Now, whether or not your parents are praying parents up the hillside praying for you, 
Your responsibility is you're in the valley and you're fighting. You're fighting for the good of your families. You're fighting because you're raising children in a dark, broken world. So ask yourself, what are you doing to protect your family from the junk that's coming into your home on the internet? Or cable television? Or any other way? What are you doing to help your children understand the battle that they're in? And to help them know that you're fighting for them and their grandparents are praying for them. Amen? Now you may be seated. Now if you're a young person in this room, I want you to stand. Any children, teens, 20-somethings? You're not married, you stand. You're not a parent yet? Yeah. Now here's the question. As grandma, and pardon me, as 80-plus-year-old Moses representing the grandparent generation, he's on the mountain, he's praying. And Joshua representing the parent generation, he's fighting. What do you suppose this generation was doing? They were in their tents playing their Game Boys, their Xboxes. Of course they were. I think they were standing watching it happen because they were smart enough to know in only a few years I'm going to be a parent and I need to know how to fight for my kids. And a few years after that I'm going to be a grandparent and I need to know how to be up on the mountain praying for my kids and my grandkids. Now young people, whether or not you've got parents that are fighting for you in the darkness, whether or not you've got grandparents praying for you in the darkness, God loves you very much. And God wants to do great things in your generation with you. Don't wait for them. Step into the battle. You may be seated. Do you see what happened? Verse 13. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Amen while Moses was praying and the children were watching. Then the Lord said to Moses, This was so important today. Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. You've heard me say it so many times. We forget all too easily. It's so important we write it down or take a picture of it or pick up a piece of miracle debris. Do something to remember the miraculous things that God does for you and your family. Amen? So you can pass the stories on to your children and your grandchildren. That's what he's saying here. Write it down. Make sure Joshua understands what it looked like from your perspective, Moses, as you were up there praying so that he can tell his children and they can tell their children and 3,500 years later, we'll be reading it. And Moses then built an altar. We need to worship here before we leave this place, Moses was saying. And he called it Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. Is the Lord your banner? Grandparents, if you're discouraged by what's going on in the lives of your children or your grandchildren, is the Lord your banner? as you're praying, trusting that God can do anything in your family. Parents, if you don't have praying parents who are praying for you, and it started in your generation, celebrate that. Pass it on to the children. And if you're here as a young person, and none of the generations that preceded you know God, start it with you. Amen? I notice in chapter 19, verse 1. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. 
And what do you suppose they were thinking about as they walked? I wrote for you on the bottom of your notes on the first page this paragraph. The battle rages for every family legacy. Men, the battle is raging to draw you and me to a place of apathy, impotence, and I don't mean by that sexually, selfish withdrawal, disengagement from our responsibilities in your family. Women, the battle is raging for you to draw you to a place of envy of other people or what other people have, or manipulation or control. Teens, kids, the dark kingdom is trying to break your hearts. So you withdraw, you isolate, and you start doing self-destructive things like cutting, for instance. But God calls us, all of us, to recognize that the most important place on earth is the home, the family. Do you agree with that? And Jesus is ready to help you fight for your family. The Holy Spirit is ready to guide you in building a God-honoring legacy. So take some time today and answer that next question. What's happening in your family legacy right now? On the 60th day of their departure out of Egypt, Exodus 19, verse 1, they come to the desert of Sinai. Verse 2, And after they had set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Wow! They maybe didn't know it, but on that very mountain, some months before, God had met with Moses in a burning bush. And he had said to Moses, Moses, you and I are going back there. We're going to rescue out those people, and we're going to bring them here to this mountain where we'll worship. We'll have an encounter with God that'll change that people forever. A worship legacy. Would you think for a moment, what has been the worship legacy of your family? How have lives been changed in the worship journey of your family? What have you come to understand a worship encounter with God really is? This chapter defines it in an amazing way. Look, verse 3. So Moses went up to God. By my calculation... Eight times this man climbed this mountain. This is now the second. The first time was when he was at the burning bush. And Moses went up to God. Worship is anticipation. Worship is, is going to where God is and meeting him in that sacred encounter. And the Lord God called to him from the mountain. Worship is a relationship. The first time he met God on that mountain, God had called him by name. Moses, Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground, remember? God called to him now a second time. Now, I don't know if it really happened this way, but I know if I was Moses, I would have a sense that, that as soon as I had seen that mountain starting to come up out of the horizon in the far distance, my heart would have started beating a little faster as I remembered what happened on that mountain the last time. And my guess is, finally, I would have come to a place where I'd have said, Aaron, I can't wait any longer. you got responsibility for the people. I'm going. I can't wait to get up that mountain. I remember what happened the last time I was there. God spoke to me. I heard his voice. It changed my life. I wonder what he's ready to tell me this time. Aaron, you got the people. I can't wait. How about you? 
how would you have felt? And don't you see that that's exactly the way we come to worship here or wherever you go for your private time of worship with God. You're responding to a call of God. Jesus had said, and it's recorded for us in John chapter 6, nobody comes unless the Father draws him. But whoever comes, he, Jesus, will, will not drive away. You and I come to worship in response to the drawing of the Father. Think about that. It's not, you see, getting up on a Sunday morning or if you come on a Saturday afternoon and rushing through a quick breakfast, got to get over there, quick, 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 shoom, <laughs> sit down. It's an anticipation. I'm going to a place to meet with God, with a group of other people, and when we do, it will be life-changing. I believe that's what God wants today to be. For me and all of us in this room, in some way, so that when we leave here in a few minutes, we're different because we had this experience. And then God started to speak to him. Moses, tell the people, you yourselves have seen with your own eyes what I did to Egypt. Worship is a recognition of the miraculous things that God does around you and in your life journey and a celebration of the fingerprints of God how I carried you on eagle's wings and how I have brought you to myself. Now, if you fully obey me, if you keep my covenant. And then he said a most amazing thing. Out of all the nations on earth, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you're to tell the people, Moses. Does that sound kind of a little familiar? About 1,500 years later, as the Apostle Peter is writing to Christians like you and me scattered around the Roman Empire, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You've been called out of the darkness into His wonderful light so that you can declare His praises. Can you and I own that, my friends? Can your mind absorb that? These were slaves. Can you imagine how many times with the crack of the whip across their back they had heard, you're nothing more than an animal. Keep working. And now God, who created the entire universe, is saying to them, you're my treasured possession. You're a holy nation. Of all the peoples on the face of the planet, you're mine. So the next time you begin to feel like you're disappointed in yourself, like you have failed one more time, remember that. If you've trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. You are treasured by God himself. Huh? And then he says, if you'll obey me fully. A relationship. A relationship that is not just an obedient relationship, but it's a relationship that Jesus Christ himself has made possible for you and for me. 
Because God so loved our world that he came. Listen to this for just a moment. Brother Jeff. says in verse 8 that Moses came down and told the people what God had said and the people responded together we will do everything that the Lord has said worship is an opportunity to get your life aligned with God and to live out that commitment so Moses brought their answer back to God that's number three now up the mountain to meet with God and then the Lord said I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you. The people will hear me speaking with you? And then they'll always put their trust in you. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Worship is such a sacred experience that we need to come to God prepared and ready for this encounter. On the 31st of December, 1999, Dawn and I were at a New Year's Eve gathering of worship and prayer. You remember that particular year? Something called Y2K was right around the corner. You remember that? And we were afraid all of our computers were going to crash and our bank accounts were going to be lost and life was going to end. (laughs) In that worship service that day, I found my way to Psalm chapter 24, verse 3. You'll see it on the screen. Here's what it says. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, for such is the generation of those who seek your face. I sensed that God was kind of whispering in my ear, Doug, don't you think I got Y2K all figured out? If I can hold the whole universe together, it's going to be okay. But Doug, there's things more important than that. You've come to 
end your year and step into a whole new year, decade, century, millennium. But Doug, before you come up on the mountain like Moses did to meet with me, look at your hands. Do you have clean hands? Is there anything that your hands have done, touched, written? Any website? Any television program that has defiled your hands? Don't come into my presence seeking my blessing if you've got dirty hands. Then look at your heart, Doug. Do you have a pure heart? Your attitudes, your thoughts, your relationships. Don't come into my presence seeking my blessing if your heart isn't right. And then take a look, Doug, at what are the things that you've prioritized in your life that you've been passionately pursuing? Anything more than me? Then don't come into my presence and ask me to bless you. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, he who has clean hands and a pure heart? As Moses hiked up that mountain for the second time, third time, fourth time, I wondered if he thought, God... I'm actually going to be able to step into the presence of God. I'm so unworthy. What are you thinking about when you come into this place? Have you taken a look at your hands, your heart, your pursuits in life as you come to meet with God? So Moses went back up to meet with God. God says, Gather the people together, consecrate them, verse 10, and be ready on the third day, because on that day I'm going to come down and meet with my people. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast, and everyone in the camp trembled. Verse 17 is one of those verses that I've underlined heavily in my Bible. And then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. If you're a husband in this room, if you're a dad in this room, that's your privilege. To lead your family to meet with God. If you're a granddad in this room, oh my, you got two generations following you to meet with God. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. Verse 19, as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. What? The voice of God? Yes. And the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So now for a fourth time, Moses goes up to meet with God. A worship encounter with God should be awe-inspiring, like this morning has been. How is it for you? when you come to meet with God. Turn over a page to the 20th chapter and here's what they heard. And God spoke all these words. Yes, they actually heard the literal voice of God. Twice in the book of Deuteronomy, as Moses is writing, he's saying, remember, we gathered at the mountain. The mountain shook. It smoked. There was lightning, there was thunder, and you heard the voice of God. Make sure you tell your children and your grandchildren, you heard God speak. What did he say? Here's what he said. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. As you and I build legacies that include a worship culture for our families, we have to ask ourselves the question, will I listen to God when he speaks? 
Will I respect what God says about himself and, and about me? God said, you shall not have any other gods before me. You shall not make any image and worship it. You shall not misuse my name. You shall not defile the Sabbath. Four things that God said there in the Ten Commandments about the relationship between he and us. Will I respect those things? Will I honor the things that God calls me to? And then six things about relationships between people. Honor your father and your mother. Don't kill one another. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Verse 18, And when the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. I would have too. What about you? But the next verse is one of the most painful verses in the Bible. And they stayed at a distance. And they said to Moses, Moses, you speak to us yourself and we will listen, but don't have God talk to us anymore. Have you ever done that? This was a defining moment. A million people who had been rescued by God, fed daily by God, having just heard the voice of God, and they backpedal. Moses, you go up and talk to God. Come back and tell us what he says. It's too much for us. May I suggest to you that God says to you and to me today, I understand how it can be a little intimidating. You're actually meeting with God. I understand that. But don't back away. Come close. I've created you for this. Nothing else in all of my creation can have this kind of a relationship. Don't backpedal. Come close. So Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. God has come to, to test you, to love us, and to challenge us that our respect for him, our fear of him, will keep us from sinning. But the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. It's a legacy-defining moment. And no matter what your parents or your grandparents, no matter what trail they have blazed for you of what worship looks like, of what a relationship with God looks like, you get to decide for yourself. And no matter what you've decided up to this moment, for the rest of your days, you get to define what will be the worship legacy that you leave to your children. Backpedaling away from God or stepping forward with an awesome anticipation of what it's going to be like to meet with God. Listening so you hear Him clearly. Agreeing with whatever He says. Honoring whatever He tells you. And determining that I will never back away. I'll never turn away. As long as he keeps drawing me. It's a deciding moment right now. Ten days ago or so, a group of folks in Pakistan were going to a place of worship. They worshipped, had a wonderful worship celebration, not knowing that there were two people who were intent on destroying that group of folks. As they were walking out together celebrating their worship experience, two people blew themselves up. And according to our brother, Pastor Craig, who's tracking it very closely, the death toll has now reached nearly 90. 
most of them women and children, walking out of a powerful worship encounter with God. You see, you and I live in a dark world that is saying, no, God, no, you stay up there in heaven someplace. Leave us alone. And on this planet, there are a few who are saying, oh, God, we desperately need you. We're, de- we're killing ourselves. We're destroying ourselves. And what we have to hand to our children is such a mess. God, we desperately need you. And God's response to that is, I'm here. Come close. Come with clean hands and a pure heart. Come close. And our encounter will change your life for the rest of your life. So let's talk to him right now. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for coming here. God in person with us and helping us to understand how much God loves us. Lord Jesus, thank you for making it possible for us to have a relationship, an actual relationship with Almighty God. Father, Son, Father, Daughter, thank you. Thank you, God, for not giving up on us. And right now in this place, God, there are folks with broken hearts. I'm asking that you'd embrace them, please, and whisper into their ears how much you love them, that you understand all about the brokenness. Draw them with you up the mountain into a powerful time of refreshment and encouragement. There's some in this room facing major decisions that could be life-changing. God, draw them close to you. Guide them carefully. There may be some in this room, God, who are overwhelmed with the shame and the guilt of the past. Overwhelm them, please, that you're ready to forgive and cleanse and give them a brand new, fresh start in life with you. Right where you're sitting, what's the conversation that you'd like to have with God this morning? And what do you suppose he'd like to say to you? Now, God, we thank you that you received us here this morning in celebration and worship in prayer and in studying your word. And now as we lift our voices in celebration of who you are, O God, your majesty and your greatness, we prepare to step out into a world that desperately needs people who have met with God. Fill this place with your presence and prepare us to go out from this place, O God. We worship you in Jesus' name.